another avenue. But we're going to continue and uh, get into uh, my message for this morning. And um, really, this is something that's really been on my heart for a few weeks now and, and something that is really poignant to the time and uh, place that we are at in history right now. Um, but how many of you have heard of cancel culture? Ever hear of that? Cancel culture, I mean, obviously for a lot of us in here, it probably has a negative connotation to you, uh, but I want to get into a sermon series called Canceled, and, and this is a reality of things that we need to take a look at within American Christianity that just kind of need to be canceled in our own thinking, and, and really, the, the idea behind cancel culture is that uh, groups of individuals want to bring accountability to other groups for the way that they act, think, or respond. And while there is uh, somewhat of a noble cause in the middle of that, the problem is that that morality is only centered on what the group thinks is right. It's centered on what they think is best. And so it's ever-changing and ever-shifting. It's really hard to follow and, and often ends in people being uh, publicly humiliated or shamed or different people kind of being cast out uh, because they didn't fit in with the way other people think. Um, it's really a tragedy in, in my mind to look and see that we've come to a place in our world uh, where we used to say we agreed to disagree. We used to be able to say, I don't agree with you, but I still love you. Uh, but the place that we have reached now is I don't agree with you and you need to get away from me. I don't agree with you and I have nothing to, I'll have nothing to do with you because of that. But I think there's something to this that I want to take a look at uh, in, our, in our canceled culture here for things that we in the church might consider. What are some things we need to look at within the church and hold each other accountable for so that we can see what God wants us to do? Uh, I have a video to share with you as we start this uh, message this morning. So if you want to direct your attention to the monitors, you can hear from Pastor Gerald. Yeah, thanks guys. Um, I'm in Kiev, just on the outs outskirts of the city on the west side. And uh, we've had a lot of shelling today. And, um, and we're close to the, one of the city airports. So the uh, anti-aircraft batteries go off pretty frequently. Unfortunately, a lot of times in life, it's a tragedy or a crisis that drives people to, to think about God or even to consider God in certain cultures and backgrounds. And I think there's more people praying now than maybe in a lot of countries than, than have before. So I think it's a tremendous opportunity when, when people begin to reflect on life and what it means. They realize work means nothing. They, they realize what they have is nothing because they lose it pretty quick. What do you have left? You have life. So I think there's uh, millions that are reflecting on what, you know, what is that life? What does that mean? What's after life? And I think that's going to be the opportunity that, that we have most of all to relieve personal suffering is that's necessary and good and great, but there's a place in, our, in each of our hearts that only God can feel. And a lot of people feel it with a lot of 
counterfeits, things that they think it feels good, this this cause or that cause, or I don't want to name any causes because it would step on some toes, but you know, everybody finds a counterfeit if, they, if, they, if they're trying to avoid God, they, they have that yearning, but they feel it. Right now, all those feelings have been ripped away. Um, and they have to face that question, what about God? So I think that's our opportunity. Meet the physical need and in doing so, empower ourselves to meet that, the spiritual need of what about God? about God. We uh, have been bystanders to watch something that's taken place in the world around us and we see it from a distance and because we're so insulated from it, it's easy to be dismissive of it. And um, I love uh, Gerald, and, and they didn't share his last name because even where he's living right now, it's a sensitive region. He, he's not even supposed to be there telling people about Jesus, let alone leading an underground church while a war is taking place. And a thought occurs to me as I, I look at Gerald's situation, and I think to myself, I'm so grateful that we aren't huddled in a subway for church this morning. I'm so grateful that we aren't huddled in a bomb shelter for church this morning. I'm so grateful that I'm not having to gather my kids and hold them while I'm not sure it's going to be okay, but I tell them it's going to be okay. And I wouldn't wish upon my country what Ukraine has been experiencing but I would pray for a revelation like theirs. Because as Gerald said, when a moment like this comes in history and you thought that what really mattered was your job, which the building you worked in was just leveled by bombs. You thought that what mattered was your house, but you can't stay in it because it's not safe. You thought that what matters was your bank account or your car. You thought that what mattered was all of these things and just you realize how, how futile those pursuits are when you come face to face with a moment like this and you have to ask, what really matters? What really matters? And it's very sobering, church and I don't want to look at what's happening to somebody on the other side of the world and think, boy, I'm glad it's not happening to me. But I do want us as a church to really stop and think, what, 
What is it about this moment, this realization that they're going through, this experience that they're having that is cutting every excess out of their lives and bringing them to a place where they are just huddled and the only thing they have left to believe in is Jesus? I want that kind of realization for me. I want it for my family. I want it for my community, for my church. That we would begin to ask questions like, what really matters? What about God? What is the most important thing? And how can we put the most important thing back in the place that it belongs to make it the most important thing once again? So as I was preparing for this canceled sermon and looking at the things maybe in our lives, we need to just start addressing like there are things within us that they just don't belong. And a great author and and a, a Baptist minister by the name of David Platt wrote a book called Radical years ago. Excellent read if you, you know, if you're looking to be challenged in your faith. But in Radical, he talked about how important it is for us to realize that we are living in a wartime. It may not be a physical war like they're experiencing in Ukraine, but there is a spiritual battle that is being waged with such severity, and I only hope that we can have that same realization that we've got to take it seriously. We've got to take it seriously. David Platt was quoted as saying about six, eight months ago, we in the church need to start to ask What about our beliefs and practices is biblical? And what about it is American? And I look and I see there are things in our American Christianity that kind of take us beyond the scope of what really matters. I shared with our um, worship team this morning as we were in prayer, I just feel so challenged that, you know, we as a church, we could build a great organization, a great building with great programs, things that people love to be a part of. But without Jesus at the center of it, it's all meaningless. It has no basis. It has no value. It's just brokenness. We're just compiling brokenness. While I'm not saying that, you know, those things are bad or we need to cancel them or any of those things, there's just this sobering moment for us to realize what it means to be faithful to God and what He's called us to. I want to talk to you about infidelity this morning. I know we hear that word and we think that that just only applies to when a spouse has been unfaithful to another spouse, but it's actually the Latin root infidelis means to be unfaithful. And then Muslims will refer to someone who has left the faith as an infidel. They're no longer faithful. It's this idea that there is something they're called to, drawn to, that should be the primary goal and focus of their lives. There should be a promise and commitment that they're remaining steadfast in, but they've lost sight of that commitment. They've lost sight of that promise and are no longer faithful. I want to read for you out of Proverbs chapter 3 this morning, verses 27 to 30. You can follow along on the screens or if you have your Bible or a device with you. Reading from the New Living Translation. And it says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, Come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. Don't plot harm against your neighbor, for those who live nearby trust you. And don't pick a fight without reason. 
when no one has done you harm. Just these four statements that are made in this proverb here for the people of God, this reality that there is a concept that we need to understand and that maybe we're not getting in English here. But when it says to not withhold good from those to whom it is due, the, the wording there actually talks in a sense of ownership. As if there is good that belongs to people and we owe it to them to do that good. We owe it to them to be the goodness in their lives. And, and I think it's a really hard thing that we need to grapple with because in American Christianity, we think that we are the possessors of good, the decision makers over whether or not we will give that which is good. But biblically, he's making the case that we aren't the owners of goodness. God's the owner. He says God's the one who owns goodness, and he decides I'm going to share it with this person, with this group, with these people, and you are the vehicle by which I'm going to deliver goodness. Basically stating that at this moment, there is a goodness that I want to give to someone, and I'm calling you, I'm saying you owe it to them to be good and show goodness. And how often we're in the place of just, hey, I want to do good, but today's not a good day. You know, I think to myself, the best time to start anything difficult is tomorrow, right? That's when I'm planning on going on a diet. I'm planning on going to the gym. I'm planning on, you know, changing the way I dress, the way I think. All of it I'm going to do tomorrow. And guess what's going to happen when tomorrow comes? It'll suddenly be today. And you know what day is going to look really good again? You bet it. Tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to look awfully appealing again. And that's exactly what he's speaking to her. He says, listen, don't say to your neighbor, I'll do good for you tomorrow. Can I put it off? Can we just, I'm a little busy right now. I got a lot going on. And, and if we could just hold your horses here, I'll do good for you tomorrow. There's an, an ancient proverb that says, he who helps today helps twice. Because you didn't make that person delay. Because we all know that that even something that we're delayed on, that we're waiting for, it causes angst. It's, it's fearful. It's frustration. What's going to happen between now and then? Is that person actually going to help? But he says, listen, I want to do good to the world in and around you, through you, and I have already promised it to them, and I've put that debt on you. And as my people, as my followers, as people of God, I'm telling you that you owe it to them to be good to them. Not tomorrow, but today. And there are three areas that I think that we can look at, and that is giving, serving, and praying. And I'll start with praying because it's probably the easiest one. In Galatians chapter 6, we're commanded, bear one another's burdens, that in doing so, we help each other. We, we support one another as we bear those burdens for each other. But here's the thing, and tell me if you've ever heard this before. Somebody is pouring out their heart to you, telling you something that's going on in their lives. And what do we say just to bring a little bit of comfort to them and shift the conversation? I'll pray for you. Tomorrow. Later. At a time which will be a little more convenient than now. I'll pray for you. And we send people away, and, and, and if I could ask you to cancel something in your life, it would be to stop telling people you'll pray for them and just start praying for them. You know, if somebody's pouring out their heart to you and they're telling you, hey, this is going on, I'm worried about this, I'm struggling with this, don't say to them, you know what, that's terrible, I'll, I'll keep you in my prayers. Stop right there with them, pray with them. 
Lift him up to Jesus right there in that moment. Serving. In Romans 12, it's, us- it's using this same idea that we read about in Proverbs chapter 3, but basically tells us in verses 6 through 13 that God has given every single one of us a gift, but the reality is the way that they're expressing it is almost like it's on loan. It doesn't belong to you. Your gift doesn't belong to you. Your ability, your talent, it doesn't belong to you. God's saying it belongs to me, but I'm going to give it on loan to you to be a blessing to the world around you. But in the same sense that we read in Proverbs chapter 3, he's saying that gift that I gave you was for the purpose of fulfilling the debt of goodness that I placed upon you. I want you to do good for people, so you've got to serve the needs of other people above yourself. But here's the thing, church, in the midst of constantly worrying about our kingdom, our jobs, our houses, our futures, our children, their academics, their scholastics, their sports, their all of these things, we are so consumed by these things that we tell ourselves that the only chance I'm going to have to serve is going to be tomorrow. But Proverbs says don't do that. Don't plot harm against your brothers. Don't plot harm against your neighbors. Maybe we tell ourselves, well, I, you know, I'm not plotting anything harmful against my neighbor. But he's saying, listen, if you're plotting to do things that are outside of what I've called you to do, if you're plotting to do things that go beyond the goodness that I desire to express through you, you're, you're plotting harm against your neighbor. Lastly is giving Malachi chapter 3. Again, God uses this same connotation in, Matthew, in Malachi 3 verses 8 through 12. God challenges the people of Israel and he says, why are you robbing me? Why are you cheating me? Why are you stealing from me? And then the, the people are they're like, whoa, whoa, God, what, what, we're not, we didn't steal anything from you. He's like, yes, you did. Because I gave you, I blessed you, and my blessing on you, I, I asked of you to give back to me, and you kept it for yourself. You cheated me, and you acted like what you had belonged to you instead of acting like it belonged to me. And church, this is something, and, and, and all of it, Every one of these areas is fully encompassed in this idea, and that's an idea that needs to be canceled in our American church thinking, is that we own it all, and we get to determine what we give back to God. I own my own prayer time. I own the amount of serving I'm willing to give. I own my resources, my home, my car, my house, the cash, the bank account. I own all of it, and I'll be the one who determines when I'm going to give that to bless somebody else or help somebody else. Biblically speaking, as we look at Proverbs chapter 3 and we apply that to these areas of our lives, God's saying, no, I own all of that. I've lent it to you to give to others. But how often do we get to the place of thinking... Today is not a gift. I just woke up. I don't, I don't see today as a gift that God gave to me. I just woke up. I worked hard for what I have. I don't have time. And so we look at all of these things, and, and church, there's something within us that needs to be canceled in the midst of this because as we're constantly trying to build this for ourselves, building our own kingdoms, we are ruining ourselves. You know, I'm, I'm baffled, honestly. Probably a lot of you are too. I'm not very old. I'm going to be 39 in a couple weeks. Don't forget my birthday. I like the Denver Broncos. You want to get me something? That's fine. I'm going to be 39 in a couple weeks. But can I tell you, I remember being able to disagree with somebody and still love them. And that, for whatever reason, in the last like three to five years is just completely out of the question. If you don't agree with me, I want nothing to do with you. 
We can't talk. We can't have conversations. Listen, and it's been political, it's been racial, it's been social, it's been economical, all of it. And, and every time it comes down to, I think this and you think that, we can't, we just don't see eye to eye. I, I've talked to people in the last couple of years who have had lifelong friends that over a, over a political thing, they're no longer talking to each other anymore. My friend won't talk to me anymore because I believe this way. I, I won't talk to them anymore because they believe that way. And we have become so divided and so divisive because we've shifted our focus off of the things that really matter. And if I could just draw from Pastor Gerald's message to us this morning, when all of that's stripped away, what's really going to matter? When, when, when you lose it all, if it was you huddled in a basement with your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, what would really matter? Would you be thinking to yourself, man, I better post this on Instagram. Hashtag scared. <laughs> That's the world we're living in. It's the way we're processing thought, but it's not what really matters. I better update my, my uh, Facebook feed. People are going to want to know how this whole thing's going. We counted 74 bombs today. Part of the roof caved in, but we're still good. No. We'd be like, this is, we're not, this is pointless. This is about surviving right now. This is about huddling together as a family right now. This is about trying to figure out what really matters. Pastor Gerald said, I would imagine that right now, not only in his country, but that all over the world, there are people who are beginning to pray like never before. People are beginning to ask questions they've never asked before. People beginning to think, what, what is what, that really matters? What, what is it that I have that I can hold on to that nobody else could take away from me? Because church, the reality of this devastating situation that Ukraine is in is that the things that we think we are possessors of could be taken away from us in a second. We tell ourselves they couldn't, but they could. We tell ourselves that the answer to that is that we need this, 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 this. We think politically, we think, uh, you know, we need to have, and, and please, uh, please hear me. I am as much of a, of a patriot as there is in America, but I am a child of God first. I love my country, but I love Jesus more. And, and we're, in a, we're in a troubled spot when we are having greater allegiance to our country than we are to being followers of Jesus Christ. When we're willing to be divided over social, economical, and political things instead of first choosing to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And the very same thing has been going on for years and years. And this is Malachi chapter 3, right after the point where God asks people, why are you robbing me? He, the, verses 14 and 15, it says this. He's, he's telling them, here's what you're thinking. You have said, What's the use of serving God? That's what your question is. What, is it, what, what does it benefit me to serve God? What, what is gained by me serving God? What have I gained by obeying His commands or trying to show the Lord of Heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed and those who do evil get rich, and those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. There's this frustration that comes out that they're like, what's the difference? 
We got people who are like, I'm going to be godly, but they, don't, they aren't getting along in life. They're not getting ahead. They're not rich. And we see people who do these wicked, horrible, terrible things, and they suddenly amass wealth and amounts of fame and glory and all of these things. And we think to ourselves that those things are connected to the blessing of God, but the real stripped-down version of it is they're not connected at all. God says, I want to pour out my blessing into your life. I want to show you mercy and kindness. I want to show you how faithful I can be. And that may not look the way that you want it to look, but if it was all stripped away and everything was gone and you got down to this one moment and had to ask yourself, what really matters? What would your answer be? If all of it was gone, if you woke up tomorrow in Gerald's shoes, and wherever you've worked for 15 years is gone. The house that you've been pouring into to, to make beautiful is gone. The, how, the car that you think, I'm so glad I got this brand new car, it's amazing, it's gone. The safety and security of all of these things, they're just gone. What would you say really matters? What about God? Church, as I said, I don't wish on our nation at all to experience what the nation of Ukraine is, is going through right now. But I do wish for a revelation like theirs. I pray for a revelation like theirs. Because we as followers of Jesus have got to start taking more seriously what it means to be a follower of God today. We always say, I'll, be a, I'll follow Jesus tomorrow. You know, you know, I can't even count the number of people I have let, met in my life that have told me I'm going to live for myself and when I'm at a ripe old age and I've had my fun, then I'll decide that I'm going to live for God. We can just keep telling her, tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. And then tomorrow doesn't come one day. What really matters what do we need to put first? I want to spend some time in our closing today, and I want to pray for the church in Ukraine. Because he says, don't put it off till later. I'm not going to tell you. Go home, and this afternoon, spend some time and pray for the church in Ukraine. No, we're going to pray now. We're going to believe now, because the Bible tells us that if two or more agree together on anything in God's name and it's according to his will, then it's going to be accomplished. So we're going to pray for the church in Ukraine because there are brothers and sisters in Christ that are in that country that are being absolutely torn to pieces. There are lost people in that country who are running around wondering what really matters. And we're at a crucial point. And I, I know we always want to ask the question of causation. Did God cause this to happen or did Satan cause this to happen? I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't think that every single thing that happens is by God's dis direction and decision. I believe there's a sin nature in humanity that sometimes goes outside of God's will. And there are things that happen and I don't believe that God is saying, My, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send this country to attack this country and cause this and cause this. We've got to be very careful in the way that we stress that. But I do know this. That God can take any situation, whether he caused it or if it was caused by an outside force, and he can turn it for his glory. And that's what we want to pray for. But I also want to challenge you to reflect for yourself. As you're watching news stories, as you're hearing stuff coming in 
maybe trying to understand it, maybe trying to explain it to your own children. Can you use this moment for yourself and say, what really matters? Can you use this moment for your family and for your children? Could we use this moment for the church and begin to ask questions like, what really matters? Because out of that might just come a true understanding. The only thing that matters is Jesus. That's what we really need. Will you pray with me? God, I just lift up the church in Ukraine to you right now. And God, it's a little hard to not get emotional when I think about what it would be like to have to huddle my kids right now and to try to tell them when I'm not even sure I believe it myself that it's going to be okay. God, I pray for people who are huddled in bomb shelters and who are huddled in subways, who are displaced from their homes, who've lost everything. God, I pray for them right now. We pray for them right now. God, we lift them up to you because you are their only hope. And God, I don't know what has caused this this situation, I don't know where it comes from, but I believe in my heart that you can use it, God, to bring glory to yourself. I believe that you can use it, God, to bring revival to people who've been stripped of everything, who have finally come to a place of seeing that the only thing that matters is God. The only thing that matters is relationship with Jesus. And God, I pray right now for that realization. I pray for an awakening within your people. I pray, God, that as they're huddled and waiting, as they're fearful and just not knowing what the future holds, God, that you would show up in power in their situations. God, I pray covering over them. I pray protection over them. God, I pray that as the wickedness comes and surrounds them, that you would show up and that you would raise up a banner of justice and righteousness for these people, God. I pray, Lord, that you would move mountains for them. I pray that you would bring an end to the wickedness. But God, more than anything else, I pray that this reality that is setting in for the church and the people of Ukraine would settle in on our hearts. That we would begin to ask, what really matters? What is it that we just couldn't live without? What is it that we could, that couldn't be taken away from us? God, would you raise that up in us? Would you begin to raise hope in your people? God, I lift up our missionaries to you. I lift up the pastors to you. I lift up those who, are, who all they have is a Bible to hold on to right now and the hope of faith in Jesus. I lift them up to you, God, and pray that you would just empower them by your spirit to go into the world around them, to share the love of Jesus with the world around them, to be agents of hope and mercy for a people who feel like they've lost everything. God, it's time for us to take you seriously would you help us would you help us to take seriously what it means to live for you would you help us to take seriously what it means to be surrendered to you because if we don't then everything that we hold dear could be just as lost we're in prayer I just want to ask you maybe you're here this morning and you would say of yourself, I, I know that I have gotten away from making God the first or most important thing in my life. I need to make God first. I need to get back there. I just don't know how. If that's you, can I ask you to just slip up a hand? I want to pray for you this morning. 
Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. I want to lead you in a prayer because this is where faith in Jesus begins. It's not the end, but it's the decision to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. I am going to put you first in my life and choose you above everything else. So will you pray this with me? Father in heaven, I need you more than I've ever known. Come into my heart, direct my steps, and be my God. I profess with my mouth that you are Lord and Savior of all. And I believe in my heart that you died to save me too. I want to choose to live for you and put you first in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for every person who raised their hand and said, I want to make that commitment. And God, we covenant with you to live for you and for your glory. Lord, my prayer is also for everyone in here, God, that we might be challenged today, not tomorrow, but today to think about what it means to live for you and to help the world around us. Shift that thinking in our minds that has us convinced that we are the owners and possessors of our lives, of our fortunes, of our futures, of our destinies, that we're the ones who own tomorrow. God, shift that and take it out of us. Cancel it in our thinking and get us to the place where we are so dependent on you that we realize you own all of it. God, you're just using us to bring your glory into the world around us. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. And we commit the church and the people of Ukraine into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you rededicated your life, I'd love to invite you to text Jesus FLC to 94,000 so we can connect with you and give you some first steps on how to follow Jesus. And go out and love somebody today. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Love on them today. Our prayer team is going to make their way to the front. If you need prayer for anything, you can meet with them. But thank you for being here and being a part of the service today. Pray for the church in Ukraine. Pray for the people who need to know Jesus and believe that God is steadfast and that he will make himself known. Lord, bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, bless you.